grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Holy Week. I don't know about you, but for me it seems like this whole Lenten season has just raced by. Adding to all that was a busy March for my family. So many spring babies born and birthdays to celebrate. This year, once again, one of the highlights for the grandkids' birthday party was that most welcome of all guests, Mr. Pinata. Those bright colored paper mache pinatas are so exciting because, well, for one thing, there's that element of mystery, right? What kinds of goodies are hanging there inside for us this year? Then, of course, there's the physical challenge of hitting the pinata while blindfolded. You know the routine, each kid gets one or two swings until until the one solid swing everybody's waiting for finally connects right at that vulnerable spot on that cardboard figurine and whoosh, sweet treasures from heaven raining down for all the kids to run around and gather up as fast as they can. Strangely, there is a metaphorical comparison to be made here between that pinata and what we've been talking about all this Lenten season, promised treasures. The promises we are talking about are of old. That is, they're prophecies. Just last Wednesday, for example, I was talking with you all about bread from heaven out of the book of Exodus. Last week's Old Testament lesson was from Exodus 16, and tonight we're in Exodus 17. Last week, we talked about the children of Israel gathering up manna that had rained down from heaven for the morning. Then at night, they ate quail that the Lord also provided as dinner for the whole camp of Israel. Last week, the people complained about being hungry. This week, they complained about being thirsty in the middle of the desert. So in tonight's Old Testament lesson, we hear God's instruction to Moses, strike the rock. And like striking a pinata to disperse its contents, so out of the rock, cool, refreshing water gushed forth to satisfy the thirst of all God's sojourning, thirsting people. And though that quail had real gristle, and though the rock smitten by Moses by his staff was a solid rock, heavy stone that actually did quench the Israelites' parched thirst, nevertheless, these concrete, tangible provisions that God supplied both point to something akin to themselves yet at the same time, something much greater than themselves. They point to Jesus, God's anointed Messiah, the bread of heaven, the rock of our salvation. The manna points to Jesus, the true bread come down from heaven. The water prefigures Christ who was stricken, smitten, and afflicted, as Isaiah's prophecy predicts from that famous Isaiah chapter 53 that foretells the mission of God's suffering servant. Yes, all these Old Testament scriptures set up and they point to Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, whose name means God saves. God is our salvation. In our gospel lesson tonight, we see the fulfillment of these Old Testament types and shadows. Jesus Christ is the reality or the realization of all these long promised treasures. When Jesus Christ was brutally crucified, his body was lifted up and hung up there 
like a pinata. Although this scene was in its own right colorful, it was not bright and beautiful. It was dark and disturbing. As Isaiah again foretells it, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. It was a bloodbath. And although there was no innocent, playful laughter of children to be heard, there was still the derisive laughter of adults who hurled insults at Jesus as he hung there on the cross. Instead of giggles, there were smirks and spitting mockery of Jesus. The soldiers could not wait to divide up his clothing, also according to prophecy, and they couldn't wait to watch him die. It was not until one particular Roman soldier in time took the tip of his spear and poked it into Jesus' side that finally the real treasure poured forth, albeit unrecognized as such at the time. Out of Jesus' side came not rock candy or any other kind of birthday prize. Rather, what came out was an eternal treasure. An eternal treasure gushed forth, much richer and much sweeter to your soul. It flowed out water and blood. John is the only gospel writer to refer to this Roman soldier who had struck Jesus' side with a spear. And it also is only John who adds this beautiful commentary later in his epistle from 1 John that Blaine read. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, writes John, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit, adds John, is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testifies, John continues, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Why does John make such a thing about pointing out these three witnesses here, spirit, water, blood? John is deep as a writer, a very well thought out writer of the Gospels and Epistles. There's actually a double meaning going on here for the Jews and those who are savvy with regard to the law. There is a legal standard that is hereby satisfied. Deuteronomy 19.15 from the Mosaic Law reads this. A single witness shall not suffice against any person for any crime, for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So that's one reason why John in his epistle includes that very carefully worded testimony of not just two, all the way, three witnesses. And the second meaning is perhaps even more important for the church age. It has to do with what the New Testament teaches regarding God's holy sacraments, one of which, namely the Lord's Supper, we celebrate, of course, tonight. The Holy Spirit works through these chosen means, God's holy word, God's holy sacraments, to communicate to us God's saving grace. First, he grants us the gift of faith, with which uh, Luther like to describe as the welcoming hands that receive the rest of all God's gracious gifts. This faith is conjured up out of nothing found within us, but the Holy Spirit creates this gift of faith even as water is applied to us in the sacrament of holy baptism. St. Paul reminds Titus, God saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of his mercy through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. 
This renewing is the new heart that Ezekiel prophesied God would create in his people under the new covenant. God would create in us a new heart of flesh to replace our old cold heart of stone, the latter being uh, that with which we come into this world as rebel sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. So then after this heart transplant, our new heart's cry is no longer crucify him, crucify him, but now it is Lord, save now, Hosanna. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit sent. This is the Spirit whom God said he would breathe into us like he originally did Adam. And like he also revealed to Ezekiel in that well-known vision of dry bones. Remember that one? It was just a Sunday reading, a reading a couple of Sundays ago. There, the last thing God did after redraping all those old dry bones with flesh and sinew was breathe his spirit into them. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. Ezekiel 37. Indeed, we are slain by sin, dead in the tomb, but the Spirit comes and makes us alive in Christ Jesus. So the sacraments then do not take the place of Christ's work of salvation for us, his dying on the cross, his rising from the dead. Rather, the sacraments deliver that salvation from Calvary 2,000 years ago to us today through these objective means, through water, bread, and wine. Let us not confuse the delivery method with what is being delivered. I think that's what we run into sometimes with our well-meaning friends from other Protestant denominations. They fear sometimes that we sacramental Lutherans are trusting in our works, they would call it. That's what they would say, rather than in Christ's work alone. Now, I know that might sound strange, especially when you consider the fact that it was the Lutheran reformers who first raised that banner, solus Christus, Christ alone. But some of them look at baptism and the Lord's Supper as something they do, man does, to carry out a step of obedience, a human work then. They confuse a sacrament, God's delivery activity, with a sacrifice, something man does or man offers up to express thanks gratitude, and obedience to God. But that's like saying we get a new computer, let's say, from the mailman or from UPS and not from Best Buy. They're getting the delivery man mixed up with the electronics store, which is the actual true source. The computer actually comes from Best Buy, not a delivery truck. It comes by way of a delivery truck. As if the computer were just sitting there in the truck from day one just waiting for someone to order it. No, but the computer has to be delivered by some means, right? Hence the various delivery systems. Furthermore, just to press a point, whether it was the US Postal Service or UPS that delivered my computer, I did nothing but sit at my house and look at my watch in anticipation of receiving my computer. So far as receiving the good goods goes, I was the passive party. While the delivery service coming to my door, they did all the work. To translate all that back into the sacraments then, we Lutherans believe God 
did all the atoning, saving work for us on Calvary's cross back in the first century, and it is also now God whose delivery service is doing all the work, that is, the sacraments by way of the Holy Spirit applying Christ's savings work, work from Calvary to us today in the waters of baptism and the bread and wine of communion. The Holy Spirit works through the preached message of Christ, the word, and the sacraments that Christ himself instituted. No room for any credit for you or me in that picture. This brings us back then to that descriptive image that St. John uniquely paints for us in his account of the crucifixion. The Roman soldier strikes Jesus with sharpened sword and out of Christ's side flow the promised treasures of water and blood. It's the writings of the third century church father Cyprian where we first find on record this understanding of St. John's writings. The two sacraments flowing from Christ's side, the water of holy baptism, the blood of holy communion. Most likely though, Cyprian wasn't the first to hold this view, but his commentary survives. In any case, the sacraments are truly a wonderful gift to sustain God's church on earth. For in and through these concrete, tangible elements, our precious faith is both born and nourished to grow strong and healthy. Our faith latches on, clings to these everyday simple elements of water, bread, and wine. Ordinary objects with a very extraordinary delivery job to do. And their work in delivering Calvary's goods are for you. They're for me. And for every penitent sinner out there in the world for whom Christ died. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Therefore, let us keep the feast now and until Christ comes again. What you receive at this table this night is far more meaningful than kids knocking down a piñata at a birthday party. The riches that pour forth out of Jesus' side for you are everlasting treasures, eternal treasures. They are a fountain of life. What did our Lord promise? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we rest assured then that in his church, the Holy Spirit is actively working through these sacraments to draw the cross of Jesus closer to you every single day that we linger on this wobbling planet. Tonight, these treasures that flow from Jesus' side are literally infinite, infinite grace infinite mercy, infinite love, infinite compassion, infinite forgiveness, and eternal life. His side is open even now. Come and gather this treasure for yourself. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds always in Christ Jesus. Amen.